Chapter 8 of Marion, the Story of an Artist's Model by Winifred Eaton This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista Chapter 8 I was at an age, nearly eighteen now, when girls want and need chums and confidants. I was bubbling over with impulses that needed an outlet, and only foolish young things like myself were capable of understanding me. With Ellen gone, I sought and found girlfriends I believed to be congenial. My sister Ada, because of her superiority in age and character to me, would not condescend to chum with me. Nevertheless, she heartily disapproved of my choice in friends, and constantly reiterated that my tastes were low. Life was a serious matter to Ada, who had enormous ambitions, and had already been promised a position on our chief newspaper, to which she had contributed poems and stories. To Ada, I was a frivolous, silly young thing, who needed constantly to be squelched, and she undertook to do the squelching unsparingly herself. "'Since we are obliged,' said Ada, to live in a neighborhood with people who are not our equals, I think it a good plan to keep to ourselves. That's the only way to be exclusive. Now that Gertie Martin, Gertie was my latest friend, is a noisy American girl. She talks through her nose, and is always criticizing the Canadians and comparing them with the Yankees. As for that Lou Fraser, another of my friends, she can't even speak the Queen's English properly and her uncle keeps a saloon. Though I stoutly defended my friends, Ada's nagging had an unconscious effect upon me, and for a time I saw very little of the girls. Then one evening Gertie met me on the street, and told me that through her influence, Mr. Davis, also an American, had decided to ask me to take a part in Ten Nights in a Bar Room, which was to be given at a pop, by the Montreal Amateur Theatrical Club, of which he was the head. I was so excited and happy about this that I seized hold of Gertie and danced with her on the sidewalk, much to the disgust of my brother Charles, who was passing with his new wife. Mr. Davis taught elocution and dramatic art, and he was a man of tremendous importance in my eyes. He was always getting up concerts and entertainments and no amateur affair in Montreal seemed right without his efficient aid. The series of pops he was now giving were patronized by all the best people of the city, and he had an imposing list of patrons and patronesses. Moreover, the plays were to be produced in a real theater, not merely a hall, and so they had somewhat the character of professional performances. To my supreme joy, I was given the part of the drunkard's wife, and there were two glorious weeks in which we rehearsed and Mr. Davis trained us. He said one day that I was the best actress of them all, and he added that although he charged $25 a month to his regular pupils, he would teach me for ten, and if I couldn't afford that, for five, and if there was no five to be had, then for nothing. I declared fervently that I would repay him some day, and he laughed and said, I'll remind you when that some day comes. Well, the night arrived, and I was simply delirious with joy. 
I learned how to make up, and I actually experienced stage fright when I first went on. But I soon forgot myself. When I was crawling on the floor across the stage, trying to get something to my drunken husband, a voice from the audience called out, Oh, Marianne! Oh, Marianne! You're on the bum! You're on the bum! It was my little brother Randall, who, with several small boys, had got free seats away up in front by telling the ticket man that his sister was playing the star part. I vowed mentally to box his ears good and hard when I got home. When the show was over, Mr. Davis came to the dressing room and said right before all the girls, Marion, come to my studio next week and we'll start those lessons. And when we put on the next pop, which I believe will be Uncle Tom's cabin, we will find a good part for you. Oh, Mr. Davis, I cried. Are you going to make an actress of me? We'll see. We'll see, he said, smiling. It will depend on yourself and if you're willing to study. I'll sit up all night long and study, I assured him. The worst thing you could do, he answered. We want to save these peaches. And he pinched my cheek. Mr. Davis did lots of things that in other men would have been offensive. He always treated the girls as if they were children. People in Montreal thought him sissified, but I am glad there are some men more like the gentler sex. So I began to take lessons in elocution and dramatic art. Oh, but I was a happy girl in those days. It is true Mr. Davis was very strict, and he would make me go over lines again and again before he was satisfied but when I got them finally right and to suit him, he would rub his hands, blow his nose, and say, Fine, fine, there's the real stuff in you. He once said that I was the only pupil he had who had an atom of promise in her. He declared Montreal peculiarly lacking in talent of that sort, though he said he had searched all over the place for even a spark of fire. I, at least, loved the work, was deadly in earnest, and finally, so he said, I was pretty, and that was something. We studied Camille, the Marble Heart, and Romeo and Juliet. All of my spare time at home I spent memorizing and rehearsing. I would get a younger sister, Nora, who was absorbedly interested to act as a dummy. I would make her be Armand or Armand's father. Now, Nora, I would say, when I come to the word her, you must say, Camille, Camille. Then I would begin addressing Nora as Armand. You are not speaking to a cherished daughter of society, but a woman of the world, friendless and fearless, loved by those whose vanity she gratifies, despised by those who ought to pity her. 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 I would look at Nora and repeat, Her and Nora would wake up from her trance of admiration of me and say, Camel! Camel! No, no, I would yell. That is, pointing to the right, Mr. Davis called that dramatic action, your way. This way, pointing to the left, is mine. Then, throwing myself on the dining-room sofa, I would sob and moan and cough. Camille had consumption, you may recall and what with Nora crying with sympathy and excitement, and the baby generally waking up, there would be an awful noise in our house. 
I remember Papa coming halfway down the stairs one day and calling out, "'What in the devil is the matter with that Marion? Has she taken leave of her senses?' Mama answered from the kitchen, "'No, Papa, she's learning elocution and dramatic art for Mr. Davis, but I'm sure she's not suited to be an actress, for she lisps and her nose is too short. But do make her stop, or the neighbors will think we are quarreling.' "'Stop this minute,' ordered Papa and don't let me hear any more such nonsense. I betook myself to the barn. End of chapter 8 Recording by James K. White Chula Vista